Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, my name is David Obelts and today is Wednesday, June 28th, 2023. And it's been 3,409 days since Russia occupied the Crimean Peninsula on January 27, 2014 and one year and 124 days since Russia expanded its war against Ukraine. We've written three podcast scripts and Saturday ended up throwing all three in the trash can as the situation with Prigozhin's insurrection has evolved. The situation is still cloudy, but enough firm details are out where we feel comfortable sharing our analysis. Today I'll be discussing the history that led up to the insurrection on June 23rd, who the players were during a breathtaking 24 hours in Western Russia, the current fallout, the fate of PMC Wagner, and what's next for Russian President Vladimir Putin and Yevgeny Prigozhin. One thing missing in the analysis by others is how the Russian Federation got to the brink of a coup in the first place. The conflict between PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu started in September of 2022 with the seeds planted months earlier. In June 2022, Colonel General Alexander Lapin was made the Russian commander of Army Group Center in Ukraine, led the attacks on Severodonetsk and Lachatsk, and was awarded the title Hero of Russia for capturing the Luhansk Oblast. We had assessed in the July 5th, 2022 situation report Quote, Russia's reset of its operational goals in Ukraine will be impossible to achieve without a formal declaration of war and full mobilization, unquote. We had also assessed on June 17, as it became clear that Lapin was destroying the Russian reserve forces to capture several Donetsk at all costs, quote, if either belligerent becomes incapable of maintaining defensive lines, collapse of that axis or multiple axes will come quickly, unquote. On September 5, Ukraine launched the Kharkiv counteroffensive. 20 days later, 95% of the Kharkiv Oblast and part of Luhansk and Donetsk were liberated with Ukrainian forces crossing the Oskil River. We had correctly assessed that the withdrawal of reserve units from the Azum region in May and June 2022 to support a win-at-all-costs offensive in Lashansk and several Donetsk had left the Russian defensive lines inadequately staffed. As the counteroffensive continued through September, Prigozhin and Chechen Major General Ramzan Kadyrov started publicly attacking General Lapin. While Russian offensive operations stalled out in early July and collapsed in September, PMC Wagner was making slow but steady progress from Popsnaya and the Svitlodarsk bulge towards Bakhmut and Solidar. There was a growing message in the Russian information space and state media that PMC Wagner was a more effective and superior fighting force to the Russian military. Prigozhin had also convinced Russian President Putin, who was still talking to the private military company leader then, to dramatically expand his use of mercenaries recruited from Russian penal colonies. With Kharkiv lost and Russian forces in western Kherson in a technical encirclement, Russia announced partial mobilization on September 21st, 2022, as well as sweeping changes to the so-called don't-say-war laws. The metaphorical knives were out for General Lapin in the Russian information space, and October 5th, 
was an important day to understand how the feud exploded. There was a back-channel push in the Kremlin to name General of the Army Sergei Sovarykin as the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine. Prigozhin and his allies were attacking Lapin and Russian Ministry of Defense Sergei Shoigu. It didn't help that President Putin jumped on the dogpile, issuing a decree that deferred the mobilization of all part-time and full-time students, publicly citing an action by the Russian Ministry of Defense as his reason to intervene. It was a very rare public rebuke of his close ally Shoigu, although he never mentioned Shoigu by name. Kadyrov was also promoted to Colonel General on October 5th and had been ranting about the incompetence of General Lapin and the Russian Ministry of Defense for days. There was even speculation that Kadyrov would replace Lapin as the new Central Military District Commander. The criticism peaked with Kadyrov accusing Lapin of cowardice for not visiting the front lines, failing to mention his own hypocrisy as the Chechen leader has never stepped foot in Ukraine. Retired General and State Duma Deputy Andrei Kartopov criticized the Russian Ministry of Defense for all of the lies on the situation in Ukraine and demanded they stop. He never mentioned Shoigu by his name, instead saying individual leaders were responsible for the deception. On the same day, just hours after PMC Wagner's social media channel shared a video of Russian Molbiks in Belgorod claiming they had been given guns and ammunition but had no direction, training, housing, or food and appealed to be transferred to the Wagner Group, a prominent social media manager for the PMC was arrested by the Russian FSB on charges of fraud. Weeks earlier, Prigozhin's disinformation machine, which is vast and powerful, had turned to point internally at Russia and was also attacking the Ministry of Defense and Shoigu. On October 8th, Prigozhin and Kadyrov's ally, General Sergei Sovarykin, was named the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine. General Lapin's command was over, and on October 29th, he was formally dismissed as the commander of Army Group Center. On Sovarykin's first day as commander, the Crimean Bridge was blown up. Sovarykin reportedly cut a deal with Shoigu and Putin. He would use the Russian Air Force to destroy Ukraine's energy infrastructure, freezing the Ukrainian people over the winter to force a surrender. Sovarykin, also known as General Armageddon, employed the same strategy in Syria. He would be permitted to perform a retrograde operation in western Kherson to preserve 25,000 to 30,000 Russian troops in a technical encirclement on the right bank of the Dnipro River in exchange for a victory somewhere else in Ukraine by December 31. When Russian forces withdrew from Kherson on November 11th, the Russian information space framed Sorovikin as a pragmatic leader who had to make a difficult choice, and the withdrawal was only temporary. Great victories in other areas awaited, and he was only cleaning up the mess of others. Prigozhin and Kadyrov got bolder in their criticism of Shoigu with the appointment of their ally. Over the next 30 to 45 days, General Sovarikin appointed at least three subordinates who were considered very friendly to Prigozhin and PMC Wagner. By the end of December, the hopes placed on General Sovarikin had faded away. It was becoming clear that the campaign to destroy Ukraine's energy infrastructure was failing and had backfired. Ukrainian power engineers were able to keep critical infrastructure running, including trains, and the world was flooding Ukraine with air defense systems, reducing the effectiveness of the drone and missile attacks. For reasons we will never understand, 
Silverican didn't take the 25,000 to 30,000 Russian troops freed up from Western Kherson and concentrated them in a single area of operation where they would have made a major difference, such as Avdivka. Instead, they were spread across multiple areas and used mostly as a stopgap to prevent further Ukrainian offenses. Continuing our analysis, Shoigu was now fighting against Prigozhin, who had overstepped his bounds with continued criticism and boasted of his success around Bakhmut and Solidar. Despite breaking through Ukrainian defenses in late December, Solverikin was relieved of command on January 11th, replaced by Russian Chief of Staff Valery Gorizimov. Solverikin was made Gorizimov's deputy, a decision in our assessment to keep a watchful eye on a person perceived to be a close ally of Prigozhin. The Russian Ministry of Defense cut off Wagner for recruiting in prisons. The Russian Information Agency sent guidance to Russian state media to not mention PMC Wagner or Prigozhin. The Russian Ministry of Defense Morning Reports didn't mention Wagner by name as the offensive operations in Solodar and Bakhmut continued, calling them, quote, volunteer assault troops, which infuriated Prigozhin. On February 3rd, Prigozhin may have achieved peak hubris, challenging Ukrainian President Zelensky not to leave Bakhmut and to fight to the last. We assessed on the same day that Prigozhin's taunt would age as well as room temperature milk. On February 16, Prigozhin accused the Russian Ministry of Defense of cutting off PMC Wagner from ammunition shipments, turning off his secured communications phone, and claiming that the ministry and Russian President Putin were no longer talking to him. He showed a graphic video of one collection point with almost 100 bodies claiming the mercenaries had died in a single day due to a lack of ammunition. Objectively, there was a notable reduction in artillery and mortar strikes in the second half of February in the Bakhmut area of operation. Prigozhin threatened to withdraw his troops, and Kadyrov referred to the PMC leader as his brother and good friend. It was reported that Chechen forces provided some ammunition as a stopgap. On February 23rd, Prigozhin reported the impasse was resolved and that ammunition shipments would start again. The public fight was costly. Other Russian military leaders complained that Wagner was already getting preferential treatment and that ammunition shortages were widespread. They claimed that Prigozhin was successful in Bakhmut and Solidar not because of superior strategy and fighters, because he was already getting more ammunition than other units. His Captain Kirk imitation of screaming Khan, instead declaring Shoigu, Garizimov, had become a meme both in Russian and Ukrainian circles. It also became evident that Ramzan Kadyrov was backing away from his former ally. By early March, the Russian Ministry of Defense was actively working against PMC Wagner. While Prigozhin praised the decision to have Russian troops hold the flanks, while Wagner mercenaries fought within Bakhmut, he couldn't see the trap. The Russian Ministry of Defense has used proxy forces in urban warfare in Ukraine and Syria, grinding down local militias and other militants, and then taking the military victory for themselves. General Lapin did this in several Donetsk, sending the 1st Army Corps of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, the 2nd Army Corps of the so-called Luhansk People's Republic, Syrian volunteers, and Chechen Akhmat to engage in house-to-house fighting for over a month. Ultimately, all these units were rendered combat destroyed, and the 2nd Army Corps and Chechen Akhmat has never recovered. You don't hear about Syrian volunteers fighting for Russia and Ukraine anymore. 
In mid-April, it appeared briefly that a truce had been created. Wagner was appearing in the Russian Ministry of Defense morning reports by name and was receiving positive coverage on Russian state media again. It wasn't clear what had shifted, but something shifted. But in early May, it seems Prigozhin figured out what was really going on. Russian troops on the flanks of Bakhmut initially engaged with the Ukrainian forces, suffered heavy losses, and were starting to get pushed back. They weren't on the attack anymore, and Ukrainian ground lines of communication into Bakhmut, that's the supply lines, were improving. Prigozhin was enraged by this and exploded again. He claimed his supplies had been cut off a second time and made another video showing the ground covered in corpses. This time, there was no evidence of an ammunition shortage. The Russian information space started to turn against Prigozhin, criticizing his use of dead Russian mercenaries as props. Former FSB colonel and wanted war criminal Igor Strelkov-Gurkin called Prigozhin a black clown in a dark circus. Kadyrov was no longer a supportive voice and instead attempted to be a mediator, criticizing Prigozhin for publicly complaining about problems in the field. On May 5th, Prigozhin declared he would withdraw from Bakhmut on May 10th unless he received more ammunition and Russian forces did more to defend his flanks, claiming that he was at risk of encirclement within weeks if nothing was done. Then on May 6th, he claimed that he had fulfilled his mission, that the full capture of Bakhmut was unimportant, and the path to Krematorsk, Slavyansk, and Chasovyar was now open for Russian forces. He also claimed that on October 8th, he and General Sovarykin hatched Operation Meat Grinder, intended to grind down Ukrainian combat strength and reserve forces to collapse their military. And that goal had been achieved. Let's talk about the so-called Operation Meat Grinder. It is very unlikely that this was the plan on October 8th. And if it was, it indicates that Sovereign and Prigozhin were coordinating Sovereign's rise to power. PMC Wagner didn't break through into Solidar until January and been pushed back from the eastern edges of Bakhmut in mid-December. It wasn't until February 2023 when Ukrainian forces started to suffer what some deemed as unacceptable losses for a defensive operation. That situation stabilized in March, and Ukraine executed a retrograde operation. Historians will decide who was grinding down who, but what do we know right now? Ukraine is launching a multi-front offensive operation as I record this, and PMC Wagner is being dismantled. Back to May 6th. Kadyrov appealed to the Kremlin for Chechen Akhmat to take over the fight in Bakhmut, claimed he had 7,000 fighters ready to go, with Prigozhin announcing it was a done deal. On May 7th, Prigozhin released another rant, claiming that he had been told if he withdrew his forces from Bakhmut on May 10th, he and those who withdrew with him would be charged with treason. Suddenly, the capture of Bakhmut became very important again. The dysfunction between PMZ Wagner and the Russian Ministry of Defense was now fully displayed. Even as Ukrainian forces continued to push back Russian troops on the northern and southern flanks, Wagner mercenaries kept pushing into Bakhmut, further exposing their flanks. On May 20th, Prigozhin dubiously declared mission accomplished, that he would start to withdraw his forces on May 25th with a coordinated transfer of control to the Russian Ministry of Defense. 
As of June 28th, there's not been a single picture or video of Russian troops at the former airplane monument in southwest Bakhmut. By June 1st, most of Wagner's units had withdrawn, with Russian forces holding military control of a dead city with less than 500 residents remaining. This was a very long but critical explanation on how we got to June 23rd. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. On June 22nd, Prigozhin released a 30-minute video attacking Shoigu, Russian oligarchs, and the leader of the occupied territories in Ukraine. He specifically defended Russian President Vladimir Putin. He claimed that Ukrainian forces never attacked civilians in the Donbass, only military targets, and that the war with Ukraine was started on a lie. He repeated his previous claim that there are no Nazis in Ukraine and Russia does not face some existential crisis from an impending NATO or a Western invasion. He claimed that Shoigu was looking for a second battle star and was corrupt to the core, as were the oligarchs who wanted to pillage the rest of Ukraine as they had already done to the occupied territories in the Donbass. Several hours later, he claimed that Russian missiles struck PMC Wagner camps in the rear areas of occupied Ukraine, initially claiming, quote, thousands of casualties, and released a very questionable video as proof. Several hours later, reports showed that Wagner had started an insurrection and was moving in force to Rostov-on-Don. Prigozhin later claimed that a missile attack did happen, but it missed the encampment and it killed 30. Take from that what you will. In less than 12 hours, Wagner units had captured Rostov-on-Don, a city of 1.1 million people, surrounded the Russian Ministry of Defense Southern Military District Headquarters, the Ministry of the Interior, it's the equivalent of the police department, and the city administrative offices. A second column of Wagnerites, estimated to be between 2,000 and 4,000 strong, was advancing on Moscow, largely unopposed, moving 780 kilometers in less than a day. By the end of the day, on June 24, seven Russian aircraft had been shot down, a refinery was on fire, highways had been dug up, several civilians reportedly killed, a bridge destroyed, and the insurrection was over. In a nationally televised speech seen around the world, Russian President Putin called the events an insurrection, a coup, a stab in the back. Prigozhin was charged with inciting an armed insurrection by the FSB. He was facing 20 years in prison. Between 17 to 22 Russian service members were dead, including 10 crew members of an IL-22M command and control aircraft. At least two Wagnerites were also dead, killed in a Russian airstrike. President Vladimir Putin faced the toughest challenge to his power in 23 years, and with that, Prigozhin blinked and then collapsed. At first, it appeared that an off-ramp had been found for everyone. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov reported that charges against Prigozhin had been dropped and Wagnerites withdrew from Rostov-on-Don in the outskirts of Moscow. Self-declared president of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko, had emerged as an unlikely hero, serving as a mediator to broker a deal that ended the insurrection. Prigozhin would live in Belarus, but in exile. Russian state media tried to spin the story as a bloodless revolt, but some politicians 
talking heads, propagandists, and Russian mill bloggers weren't buying it. Rage was growing over the dead air crews. Prokhorin announced he was prepared to pay 50 million rubles in compensation and blamed overzealous members of his company for shooting at anything in the air. Hanging over all of this is that during his 23 years in power, Vladimir Putin has never forgiven anyone who betrayed him. Prior enemies are either dead, rotting in prison, or hiding in undisclosed nations after failed assassination attempts. The Kremlin walked back that charges against Prigozhin had been dropped, saying the investigation was ongoing. Putin made another speech, mostly repeating what he said on June 24th, but only angrier this time, but again stating that he would honor his deal with Prigozhin not to pursue criminal charges. Putin gave existing Wagnerites three choices, sign a contract with the Russian Ministry of Defense, disarm and return home, or go to Belarus to live in exile with Yevgeny Prigozhin and go do Wagner mercenary stuff somewhere else. Let's talk about the fallout. Those three choices Putin offered aren't real choices. The Russian State Duma has passed a decree that is awaiting Putin's signature. Any member of a private military company in a penal unit still under contract will be required to complete that contract with the Russian Ministry of Defense. Any Wagner penal mercenary that extended their contract can't go to Belarus and can't go home. It is widely believed that any private military company mercenary that doesn't go home or go into exile will be scattered among Russian units and be used in human wave attacks and other assignments with low survivability, like go out in the field and find landmines, um, you know, with your feet. It is widely reported that PMC Wagner units are transferring their heavy equipment back to the Russian Ministry of Defense, effectively disarming the organization. There are unconfirmed reports from Saudi Arabian news sources that four senior leaders of PMC Wagner have been arrested in Syria and that the Russian Ministry of Defense has notified the Syrian government that going forward, the Russian Ministry of Defense will run the Wagner Group units. Prigozhin wanted Shoigu and Garizamov fired, at least for Shoigu. It's very clear that he remains the Russian Minister of Defense. Garizamov was always a bit invisible, so his lack of appearances isn't a red flag to us yet. PMC Wagner as we knew it on May 25th no longer exists. The company still exists, and it's still recruiting members, but it is unlikely that the organization will be a significant fighting force with the power and autonomy it had from March 2022 to May 2023. It is unlikely that Wagner Group will fight under their brand in Ukraine or Syria in the coming months, with the only exit plan left in Africa. As of this recording, rumors of Sorvikin's arrest are untrue. On Monday, President Putin's reputation appeared wounded, but he was in a place to recover. Multiple Russian sources report that mistrust and paranoia are now permeating the halls of the Kremlin, and that a purge of people who have been deemed disloyal has started. Currently, the targets have been among the Russian Air Force and Army Aviation, pilots who refused to follow orders to fire on Wagner convoys on the M4 highway, which were intertwined with civilian traffic, members of the Ministry of the Interior, the FSB Border Guard Service, and the Russian National Guard are also being targeted for not preventing Wagner convoys from crossing checkpoints. 
In a third speech on June 27th, President Putin indicated that Prigozhin's finances were potentially under investigation, including 80 billion rubles for institutional food contracts with the Russian Ministry of Defense, 86 billion rubles in payments for the operation of PMC Wagner, and 110 billion in survivor and disability benefits to dead and severely wounded Wagnerites. A quick sidebar, the 110 billion ruble figure for survivor and disability benefits from May 2022 to May 2023 is shocking. Assuming the best case, every ruble went to death benefits. I'll explain why that's the best case. At 5 million rubles per person, that's 22,000 killed in action just among Wagner Group. We know the number is distributed between disability and survivor benefits with disability payments well below 5 million rubles per person. We just don't know what that distribution is. That indicates that the number of Wagnerites killed in action and disabled is much higher than 22,000. Stunning, mistaken admission by Russian President Vladimir Putin. As the insurrection started, Kadyrov was already suggesting that the Kremlin investigate Prigozhin and his institutional food contracts with the Ministry of Defense, which is widely believed to suffer from significant corruption. The complaints of inadequate rations, rotten food, old rations, and poor quality meals at training facilities are very well documented. The other thing Putin said is that the Kremlin fully funded all of Wagner's operations and that Wagner operated under the direct command of the Russian Ministry of Defense. While these are largely open secrets, it was a stunning admission. That would mean that Russia is involved in direct warfare in five African nations and is a state sponsor of global terrorism, using Wagner for years to have a degree of plausible deniability. While laying the framework for the future prosecution of Yevgeny Prigozhin, President Putin essentially admitted that crimes committed by Wagner were financed and ordered directly by the Kremlin. What went wrong for Yevgeny Prigozhin and can Vladimir Putin recover from this? Historically speaking, when other insurrections and coups have failed, a major component is coup leaders didn't get the support they counted on to complete their mission. It is hard to take Prigozhin's explanation that he decided to end his insurrection the moment he realized that Russians would be killing Russians. Blood had already been spilled, and at least one firefight in Rostov-on-Don had been geolocated. It's more likely that he didn't get his promised and anticipated support and believed he no longer had a way to achieve a victory. And who made a hasty video on June 24th asking PMC Wagner to stand down while sitting uncomfortably with a submachine gun on his knee? Why, that was general of the army and perceived Brigosian ally, Sovarikin. What about Putin and the Russian government? In the Russian government, compromise is seen as a sign of weakness. While it is becoming clear that Putin is destroying the command structure of PMC Wagner, Putin did not appear to be a strong leader 
during the insurrection. We have assessed previously that like all authoritarians, Putin derives his power from the people believing that only he can protect the Russian Federation, the Russian people, the Russian culture, the enigmatic Russian soul. In the laws of the wild, when the alpha leader shows weakness, those one rung below start to conspire. Putin holds his power by monopolizing state-sponsored violence as, to be cynical, every other functioning government. He doesn't have that monopoly anymore. And it's been slipping away for months. In March 2023, Russian partisans crossed the border from Ukraine and took some selfies. In April 2023, the same partisans crossed the border, entered villages, recorded themselves talking to some Russian nationals, and returned to Ukraine. In May 2023, Russian partisans crossed the border again, attacked Russian positions for a day, and returned to Ukraine. In the first week of June, they crossed the border in multiple locations and occupied two towns for up to six days. 17 days later, Prigozhin tried to arrest the Russian Ministry of Defense leaders in a one-day insurrection. Putin has shown repeated weakness and indecision in a society that sees this as the worst of human traits. It is also a society that, after 20 years of propaganda and gaslighting, holds Putin in an almost czarist light. Many Russians still believe that their only salvation is by following President Putin. Putin has another problem. If senior Kremlin leaders are believed to have been involved in the failed insurrection, their arrest shows to the Russian people that there was not just the actions of a dissatisfied leader of a private military company who may or may not be very corrupt, but that cracks have formed within Putin's closest inner circle. If Putin does nothing, he looks weak. If Putin starts arresting people, he looks blind. There will very likely be another challenge to Putin's rule, and if the past is a predictor of the future, the next one will be bloodier. What about Prigozhin? Yevgeny Prigozhin is a man without a country and limited options. He is a declared leader of a terrorist organization in multiple nations. He is now radioactive, metaphorically speaking, and it is unlikely that any BRICS nation will give him refuge. The experts of the enigmatic Russian soul we spoke to in preparing this podcast all thought of Leon Trotsky. Trotsky crossed Yosef Stalin in 1925, was exiled in 1929, and eventually found political asylum in Mexico in 1936. He survived one assassination attempt, but eventually Stalin got his revenge in 1940. Admittedly, the Kremlin to this day says we had nothing to do with that. Another thing about Russian culture, they love a frozen conflict and will wait as long as it takes to get revenge. If somehow Prigozhin avoids criminal charges and arrest or an unexpected fallout of a window, he will forever be looking over his shoulder and checking his cup of tea with a Geiger counter. Thank you for listening today. We know many of you are missing the Daily Situation Report update, and I want to thank our audience for standing with us during this transition. We are going to move to a new full-time host. You can become a patron for as little as $5 a month and get access to the written Daily Situation Report and interim flash reports. There's a link in the podcast description, or you can find us by searching for Malcontent News on Patreon. It keeps you in the know during this transition and backs the rest of the team. And that's what we know. My name is David Obelts. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. 
Thank you to our analyst team for all of the hard work they did in preparing this podcast behind the curtain. There is so much awful in the world. Please be good to each other. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.